We are now in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Last week, we, uh, we began the first part, and, and uh, we'll, we'll continue on right where we left off, because that's what we do, is we teach the Bible verse by verse, generally, and that's uh, the way that we believe that God has put on our hearts to, to, to cover his word so we don't skip anything, we don't miss anything. It's so exciting to see what he has for us every week. So let's pray. Jesus, it's, uh, it's amazing to be able to serve you and to, to know, God, that whatever message you give to me, Lord, I believe and I've asked that it be just from you and it's not my intentions or it's not my brain coming up with something. Jesus, it's truly your Holy Spirit. We believe that and we've all asked for it and so now we, we prepare in faith to believe and receive the message that you have for us. God, we, we humbly seek that you would change the way we view the world, that you would teach us and, and even bring healing into some of our lives where we've been hurt and we've been devastated by certain things in our life. And God, I pray for healing. And God, we pray for hope and freedom. God, that we would by looking to you and by looking to your word alone, we would be set free from all the, the struggles and, and all the strife and all the trials that seem to drown us. Lord God, we desire to be free so that our suffering means something, so that our lives can mean something. And Lord, that we can honor you and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. All right, well, today's message is called An Answer for Rodney King. If you, if you don't know who Rodney King is, do you remember back in the 90s? Yeah, you remember he, he uh, was doing a high-speed chase. He was the driver in this car. He's a black man, and he, and he was doing his high-speed chase through Los Angeles, and the police chased him, and then they, they pulled him over, and then they beat him up. And they, they really beat him up. And a guy videotaped it all, and then he sent it to the news, and the news showed it. And what followed that event was the Los Angeles riots. And how many of you remember that? And uh, how many of you lived in L.A. during that time? One, two, like a quarter of our church. All right. So <laughs> it was terrifying. And, and there was just strife and struggle and, and so much hatred and, and violence during that time. And, and so Rodney King was interviewed a little bit after that as he was recovering. And it was during these riots. And you guys remember the quote, right? Can't we all just get along, he said. And it's tur it turned into a media sensation. It turned into this, this big thing. And everyone remembers when he said, can't we all just get along? And, uh, and so that was the question uh, that we are actually going to answer today. We're going we're gonna to use that as kind of the basis um, for our study. Uh, see, that request, that, that question is actually a very common plea throughout the world. You know, wars and violence and mistreating people are very common throughout every nation in this world right now. And world peace is on the bumper stickers, and it's, there's entire organizations and nonprofits just dedicated to world peace. And the New Age thinkers think we're going to come into this age of Aquarius where it's going to be world peace. And they're all just thinking, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? Well, the church, the church, us, 
We are to be a picture to the world of unity, of peace, of people getting along. And you may think that we have failed at that. You might think that we've actually been a picture of struggle and division. And I can actually see why you would think that. And you would be right in part. But the greater truth is that the church has been the only truly united group in the world that's lasted for the last 2,000 years. Pretty much the most united group in the history of all mankind. When you look at it, no group in history has ever been as united as the church. It's genuinely supernatural. It spreads across every continent and every country to nearly every language and has survived countless persecutions from the outside, deceivers and horrible leaders from the inside. And whenever power became too centralized or the church got too big, it would go through different kinds of splits or divisions that actually caused it to become stronger and spread further. And these false leaders that would come into the church and they're, they would send entire movements in one direction, but a correction would come. The church has been a supernatural thing, and I'm honestly honored to be a part of it. It's not a denominational thing, and it's not a building. It doesn't matter what building we meet in. It's every true believer joined in one body. And all of this unity that we just saw, and we see that the church spreads to every nation right now, and people all around the world say, I love Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. I'm part of the church. And all of that unity is in spite of the fact that the church has acted in its flesh so often. And its leaders have been in the flesh. And they've brought shame upon themselves and us. Because that's what the flesh does. The flesh never does anything different except bring devastation and division. Yet, we are still here. You can also apply this picture of unity to marriage and the unity that should be there as well. And we can see how hypocritical the world perceives the church when people can't even get along who are supposed to love each other. You know, when we see the divorce rates in the church being just the same as in the world, it can be disheartening. And we can see why the world says, I don't, I don't see the unity. Well, this chapter in Ephesians... Paul is inviting us and, and calling us to walk in unity, to walk in unity, to not let our flesh cause divisions. And so we're going to take a look now. We're going to start back in verse 1 just to set the context, but we studied verse 1 and verse 2 last week, but let's read it again. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or invite you or call you or or let's do this together, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with all long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And last week we did learn how this is not a bunch of new rules being added to the lives of believers, but he's describing, it's a simple description of the life that will be created in someone walking with Jesus. It's a simple description of someone who walks with Jesus. In his footsteps, we walk with him. We become humble. We become gentle. We are patient with the failures of others. And we start to love each other in a way that we hold up each other's arms 
like in Exodus with Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses as Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. We looked at that in depth last week. And now today, we look at part two of what this life of following Jesus looks like. The invitation that we have to walk in unity. He says in verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. When we walk with Jesus, when we spend time in those first three chapters of Ephesians, just learning about what he's done for us, just receiving his love and his acceptance and his grace in our lives, we desire to walk in peace, walk in unity. We're on the same team. We're all part of the same family. We are citizens of the same nation. It's us against the world, you could say. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we shouldn't have to try to convince each other that we're on the same team. And as we walk with Jesus, we don't have to. You know, I don't often invite all my, all my children to my house and my brothers and my dad, and I don't throw we are rental parties. I don't have to do that. I don't have to remind them that we are one. Even if they live in all different parts of the world, my brother's in Pittsburgh, got another brother in Greeley, and, uh, and my parents are in Sawatch, and another set of parents in Guam. I don't have to invite them all and say, we're going to throw a party to communicate to everyone that we are united. We don't have to do that. The same way I don't have to go to every church in town and say, we're one, right? We're one. No, because we are just one. We just are. We don't have to try to figure out how to be one. Paul says here, he's just inviting you to walk in the oneness, in the unity, in the bond of peace that we already have been given. Our flesh, though, our flesh is sneaky and deceitful and has spent so much time and effort in worrying about how other, how other believers are, are studying or worshiping or governing or living or dressing thinking about how our way of maybe doing church or living our life is better than theirs. And this comparing and contrasting comes from the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to not have conviction about how we should run church or how we should do church. And hopefully that comes from the Lord and from the Word. But arrogance is what you call comparing and contrasting, and that can go down into your own personal life and your own personal relationships with other people. Maybe the Lord has convicted you greatly in, in doing a certain thing or behaving a certain way, and maybe someone else isn't quite there yet. And so when we compare and contrast and we say, well, I'm, I'm better than that person, we're, we're not walking in the unity that Paul is inviting us to walk in. And so it seems like if we, if we really started thinking about it, it seems like if we had one big church and everyone did things the exact same way, maybe it would be a lot easier. Maybe that would bring unity to believers all around the world. But in fact, as we've learned and seen from history very clearly, one big church does not mean unity. Because it, it's not that we want other people to submit to us. 
You know, there have been many leaders in the church who have desired to have peace throughout all the church, and it came from forced submission, saying, I am the biggest pastor. I am the best pastor, so you guys need to do what I say. And they even manipulated the poor people all the way up to kings by saying, if you don't do what I said, then you can't receive the grace of Jesus. And they, and they, they use this power but that is not a unity that comes from the Spirit. If anything, that is a unity of the flesh. A unity caused by fleshly efforts. A unity that's not born from God in the heart. And unity of that kind could more accurately be called slavery. Forced obedience. But unity that is born from the Spirit fills us up as we walk in the Spirit. We get filled with this unity, and we don't have to try to manufacture it. Someone could have a church literally across the street from us, and I wouldn't be offended. I wouldn't be intimidated, because I'm one with them, and it's okay with me if they're there. I love them. As we walk with the Lord, that's what he develops. And Paul invites us to actively enjoy the unity that we have with other believers through spiritual peace that we all share. And now we get into, here in verse 4, seven ways that Paul says that we can walk in unity. And so as we go through these seven ways that Paul is going to give us a, a, a teaching to walk in unity, I want you to apply this to anywhere that you have disunity. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you just have constant troubles and strife in your marriage. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but maybe it's at work and your boss just is on you or your employees just don't listen to you. Or maybe it's at school and there's just no unity there. Or maybe it's here at church. I want you guys to bring the application into your own heart. Ask the Lord to reveal to you how these seven things can help you. And I'll, I'll help you try to walk through that. But he says here in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One body is the first one. One body. People don't cut off parts of their body very quickly. Have you noticed that? I love joking with my boys. Whenever they say, my foot hurts, or my arm hurts, or my head hurts, my first response always is, let's cut it off. And they always are like trying to decide if I'm serious for just that split second. Wait a second. Is that going to help me? Or are you just joking with me? And so they go through this little process and say, hmm, I don't think I want to cut off a part of my body. Even at their young age, even how foolish they are, they don't want to cut off parts of their body. And our membership to one body, this body of Christ, this church, or the body of your marriage, or the body, whatever body that you're thinking, is greater than any potential difference that you may have. Jesus is the head of the body in the church. 
And we are all equals under that head. Based biblically and basically, I'm no greater and no less than Pastor Ed or Chuck Smith or Billy Graham. Or, I know our roles may be different, but pastors should only serve just as much or more than the people in their church, not be served. And there's a great example in the world today of what happens when parts of the body rebel, and that's called cancer. And that's what happens when we don't embrace the unity of the body. We become like a cancer that just grows and does its own thing. And those cancer cells, they don't care what's best for the body. They're in it for themselves. And the results of that are devastating. So, God bless you, honey. So, we can walk in unity by being part of the body. Now, some body parts are more desirable than other body parts. Some body parts we cover with clothes, Paul says, and some body parts we don't. And there's hands and feet and noses and stomachs, and they're all for different things. Just like in this room, every one of us has a part that, to play and is so important. And, and when you're not here, you are actually devastating our ability to walk as a body for whatever part you are. I mean, just think of the smallest part missing from your body, and people would be like, there's something wrong with you. What's going on? Where's your head? <laughs> Where's your arm? It's noticeable, right? Because people just expect a body to be complete. And if the Lord has called you to, to be here and this is your church, we need you so much. We absolutely need you. We need you just as much as we need me or whoever's doing our children's ministry or whoever leads worship, hopefully someone else soon. Whoever, just each person is so needed. And that's you guys. And you might think, I'm, I can't, I, I have no part here. And that's not true. It's not true. Because even if your part is hidden, even from you, you don't even understand it. Maybe you're like an internal organ. And it's just inside somewhere. And it does, who knows what a pancreas does? I have no clue. But, oh, you got it because you got the diabetes. But <laughs> we, uh, we don't know. I, I don't know what all the stuff is doing inside me right now. But I know I would be miserable if I didn't have all these parts. I don't even know the names of all these parts. But I know I wouldn't be okay without them. And so you guys, this is you. And we can walk in unity by being part of one body. Secondly, one spirit. Every believer has a spirit that wants to glorify Jesus. And it fights with our flesh. Our spirit desires peace and, and to live by humility. Our spirit is constantly saying, take the low road. Serve. But our flesh desires its own way. And it lives by pride. And so we can walk in unity. Paul invites us to walk in unity by walking in the spirit. Not only are you a part of the body and it's important that you be here, but walking in the spirit. Conflicts in the church so oftentimes are just manifestations of the flesh. People getting in the flesh and it, and it takes its toll on the church every time. 
But we cannot do that by walking in the Spirit. One hope of your calling is the third way. We can walk in unity by having hope in our calling. How sure are you of the word of Jesus? How sure are you? Hope is a sure confidence that your calling is what Jesus has communicated to you. So walking in unity, we can do that by having confidence in the word of God. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and you can do nothing without me, do you trust that? Do you believe it? And are you walking in it? If you are, you're walking in unity. Your life is just naturally bringing unity to all the different spheres of your influence, in your church especially. One Lord is the fourth way. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the leader. He's the director. He's the head of the body. And we should all be under his leadership. Does that mean we all do the same things? No. He tells each part what to do in its own place. But he can lead us perfectly, each one of us, by his word. No one should be leading but Jesus Christ in the church. You see this in marriage where husbands are to lead their wives and that leads to unity. And so we can walk in unity by letting Jesus lead your life. So I'm going to stop here after four and I'm just going to review. To, to, to walk in unity, for you to be a part of the solution of can we all just get along? You can be a part of the body. You can walk in the spirit. You can have confidence in the word of God. And you can let Jesus lead your life. Let's go to number five. One faith. See, people let you down. People disappoint you. People hurt you and annoy you. And even in the church that happens. But God brings them right into your life anyway. Your husband hurts you, annoys you, bothers you. Your wife does all the same things. Not mine, but all these things. And God brought those people right into your life. Why would he do such a thing? Why would God put these people right in your life? So that you can trust him. So that you can have faith, not in them, but in him. I hope that you guys don't have faith in me. I mean, not, not in a bad way. Not, not like you don't think I'm going to be here every Sunday. Because I want to serve the Lord too. But I hope that you're not following God because of me. I hope that you're following God because of God. That God loves you. And that you're here on Sundays. Not because I asked you to come and serve and wipe the kids' noses as they're back there and serve them or serve us our cereal, which was awesome, by the way. Or, or serve us at the barbecue. I hope you don't come for that. I hope that it's because Jesus loves you. And you can take this right down into the most intimate relationships of your life in marriage. Why are you married? I hope it's not because your husband or your wife is so awesome. They may be awesome, but they're probably not. And because they're not, we can still have glorifying marriages. We can still have wonderful marriages 
if we're doing it for Jesus. Because the husband's there and his wife's being a weirdo and he's like, I don't, I don't feel like loving her right now, but I'm going to love her anyway because Jesus asked me to. And it glorifies Jesus when I love her. No one sees it. Only Jesus sees it. We're alone in our house, but Jesus loves it. And I'm going to honor him. I want him to be pleased. Same with the wife. My husband's being a goober. But, man, I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to, I'm going to give him respect that he needs. I'm going to honor him because it makes Jesus happy. And I don't care how he treats me. I'm going to love him. That's how you can have unity in your marriage, even with messed up people. And that's how churches can stay strong, even with messed up people. It's awesome. Six is one baptism. One baptism. Well, we can look at this two ways. Number one, baptism physically is a public stating that we are dead to ourselves and living to God. We claim that Jesus' death was for us and we live because of him and so we go get baptized, picturing death and life. And we're baptized into Jesus, not into the church, not into a club, not an organization. So it's a public demonstration of our unity with Jesus. And so, in public, we should walk in unity with other believers who have been baptized as well. You can disagree all you want with how they do things, but I think it's important that in public, you give weight to the unity of baptism. You say, you know what? You say you believe in Jesus. I say I believe in Jesus. Well, at least we have that. So in public, we have that. We can say we both have faith in Jesus. But baptism also speaks of a complete internal takeover by the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not a hostile takeover, though. It's a willing surrender to his control and leading. It's the fully surrendered life. I may not fully understand doctrine or every verse in the Bible, but I can fully trust Jesus. And this is where you and I have it. We can have this every day. We have access to this every day. You don't have to go to Bible college to be fully filled with the Holy Spirit. I may not know which way to go, but I can pray and simply trust that God hears me and will open the right doors for me. I may not see how I can forgive that person or, or get through this problem without lying, but I will surrender to God's way and forgive or tell the truth. Even when it doesn't make sense, I will do these things in faith. And so we can walk in unity by following Jesus publicly and being totally surrendered to the Lord. By being totally surrendered to the Lord. Submersed in his will. That doesn't mean we have to understand it. We just have to surrender to it. Which is tough for us because we like to understand everything. Well, the seventh thing that we can walk in unity is he says, one God and Father. All of our unity together is wrapped up in God and our relationship to him, that he has adopted us, that we can go to him daily, seek his grace and walk with him. And we was, then we will see each other as brothers and sisters doing the same thing. And instead of our fighting, 
like most siblings, we'll just go to our father together with our problems and say, you know, we can't figure this out right now. Let's go to our father and pray and see what comes of that. And it brings unity. And he says here, this father, this, this sum, summation of our unity, it says, he who is above all and through all and in you all. And I love this phrase. I love how Paul phrases this because after the word all, you can just fill in the blank with anything you want. He is above all our problems, working through all our problems and seen in you because of your problems. He is above all your relationships, working through all your relationships and seen in your relationships. You can replace it with money, aspirations, worries, fears. They all work the same way with this verse. So he says he's above all. See, the, the greatness of God cannot be understated. He's to be worshipped and considered more than anything in your life. Why? Because he's more important than those things. He's of more value than those things. But I have something really important going on in my life. It's not as important as God. It doesn't matter how much you love something or how good you are at something or how many people you think will be helped. Whatever it is, it cannot take the place of God in your heart. It can't because he's above all. He's also through all. There's nothing wasted in the events of your life. No trial is wasted. Each one is part of how God is forming you and teaching you to trust him. You might not be able to see it now, but nothing is wasted. I was telling someone recently, you guys are going to be glad for this trial that you're going through right now. And they looked at me like I had just eaten a donkey. I don't know. And I, they, you know, it's impossible to see sometimes when we're in the middle of the worst trial in our life, how God is going to use it. But it, he says right here, he's through all. He's through it all. And through it all, he's going to be using it in your life. And then he says, he's in you all. This is the final key part to understanding unity. People rub you wrong in the church, at work, at school. Others believe, other believers will get under your skin and make you mad. But God is determined to bring unity and healing to his body. He's in you all. This is the only way he knows. You see, God is a trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all one. And they all have different roles and personalities, but they all are completely unified. And the Son submits to the will of the Father, and the Spirit glorifies the Son. And you have this different roles and different, not hierarchies, but different submissions but it doesn't change the unity. They're perfectly unified. And that's how marriage can work so beautifully. Even though there are roles, there's not levels. And that's how unity can be there is when we fulfill our roles and we're filled with his spirit. His spirit is always leading to unity. And we can experience his unity to a perfect extent because you and I have perfect access to God. All three parts of him, all three personalities you and I have perfect access to. 
so we can experience this unity and then we can see it in our lives. And so anytime we have disagreements or struggles between ourselves and another believer or another group, we can always know that the spiritual side of us and them has no problem. We're totally unified. But the flesh side, that's a different story. The spirit always agrees. The spirit always submits. The flesh side wants to get its own way and to be seen as greater. And it's prideful. And it always works that way. So when we have disagreements, it is because of our flesh. No doubt. The spirit loves. The flesh gets frustrated. The spirit is patient. The flesh is vengeful. The spirit keeps the bond of peace. The flesh is willing to sacrifice peace to be right. The spirit brings life into your relationships. The flesh brings death to your relationships. Stan Mikita was a professional hockey player, and he used to get in a lot of fights during the game. So he's probably one, like, one of my favorite guys, you know. The fights are awesome in hockey, right? Any other sport, you get kicked out and called a horrible person for fighting, right? But in hockey, it's just, go for it. But he stopped fighting when his eight-year-old daughter asked him a very good question. She said, hey, Daddy, how can you score any goals when you're always in the penalty box? Scoring goals, you know, what is the point? What is the goal of this unity? Why, why are we talking about this so much? Why does God care about there being peace with his people and unity? Is it just about the union? It, does he just want a big club called church? Does he care about how big the church is? And the answer is no. Because there can be union with no unity. Just tie two cats together by their tails and throw them over a clothesline. There's union, but no unity. Or watch two brothers try to play the same video game. I have experience. It does not go well. Because as the world observes the church, they're watching us, you and me. You didn't know that, but they have cameras in here right now. And they're just watching you guys. And they're spying on us. And they see many things. At times in history, during the first and second centuries, they saw a revolutionary unity that brought the poor and the rich together in one room. And that did not happen in those days. It was seen as against nature. It was not natural. The whole world divided by class, and they didn't associate with the other classes. But in church, the rich and the poor were hugging, high-fiving. That's when the high-five was invented. They loved it. They loved each other. And because of their common faith, they were united by the Holy Spirit. And the church, you know, they, they had this natural unity and love, and it was offensive to the whole world. The world was like, you can't do that. And they saw that. And then in the 19th century, in the 20th century, there were new divisions. 
new boundaries based on the color of skin. And the church, the true followers of Jesus, once again demonstrated the unity of the Spirit with preachers, pastors declaring that all men were, who, who, who call on Jesus were united and the same. And they were all created by God the same. That Jesus died for all men of every cult culture and skin color and that they should be loved. And see, we can easily get confused in thinking that, that what brings unity is when people stop sinning. Like, okay, well, in order for our church to really get along, this half needs to stop smoking weed. And this half needs to stop doing their other stuff. And this half needs to do... We can think that the only thing that will bring unity is when people stop sinning. And so you have preachers around the world today telling people to stop doing this so that we can all just get along. But most of them only really care about the sins they can see, that are, that the sins that gross them out. Most of them only want to stop being affected by your sin. They want a group of tithers who really look the part to gather together on Sundays. People who really have it together. And they refuse to be united to those who are struggling. They refuse to walk in unity, as Paul calls us to. Instead of teaching them by example how to follow Jesus, they distance themselves. And they say, you better figure that out before you come back here. Or they go on the other side and say, it doesn't matter. And they're living like it's a country club instead of a hospital. Look around. This is not supposed to be a country club. You have to pay for admission to a country club. It's, it's all hobby schnobby. I don't even know how to describe it because I've never been in one. But it seems like that way. But a hospital is full of all kinds of sick people. And what we teach and what the Bible teaches, what I hope that many churches out there do teach, is that believing and following Jesus, walking with him, studying those first three chapters from Ephesians, actually heals the disease of sin. We don't say it's okay for you to just live a life of sin. That's not acceptable. But we give you the actual cure for the disease. And not just the outward yucky ones. The inward spiritual domination of sin, the secrets in the heart, the reasons why we're deceitful, the reasons why we go out and do the outward things, the inward part. That's what Jesus takes care of. That's what following him and walking with him does. And so following Jesus, it does cure people from walking in a lifestyle of sin. It does. And not because I told them to, because Jesus made it happen. And it brings unity that the world finds amazing and counterintuitive. Unity comes from Jesus. Turn in your Bibles a couple pages to the right, to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll just read a, a chunk of this here in Philippians chapter 2. Because as you and I are walking with Jesus, 
we're not going to have to try to figure out this unity thing. We're not going to have to try to figure out sin. You don't, God never asks you to figure out how to be healed yourself. He says he'll take care of it. You walk with me. So let's look at, at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy in being like-minded, having the same love, and being of one cord, of one mind. What a great description of unity. The unity that Paul wants us to walk in here. He's saying it's being like-minded, of the same love, one accord, one mind. He says let, and this is how he does it. This is how he says we should walk. He says let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Are we doing that? When you come in here, are you, are you looking at how you can serve someone? How you can love them? How you can help them? Or are we here just to receive? Maybe this is a time in your life where you just are, are just learning to walk with Jesus. But as you grow, I invite you to look out for the interest of others, to love them. Verse 5, let this mind be in you. So everything you just described, this mind, let it be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So all this unity that we've been talking about, how does it happen? Well, we get our minds on Jesus. We focus on him. We walk with him. And he says, this mind, which was in him, is going is to start to rub off on you. Your life will become a source of unity and peace. You'll walk in and, and people are just like, wow, it just got kind of peaceful in here. Maybe two people are arguing and you just coming in to, the, to their presence calms down the situation. And you say, hey, let's just pray. You don't have to know the answers. You say, hey, let's pray. And because you've been walking with Jesus, because you've been spending time with Jesus, there is a power in your life. There is a unity and a peace emanating from your life because his spirit is flowing through your life. You will be making a difference and bringing actual change to the world, actual peace, world peace, will be beginning with you. And you will be glorifying God and bringing honor to Jesus. You will bring a solution to all the hearts that are asking, can't we all just get along? You, will have, you are the answer to that. You walk with Jesus. You do it. And see the unity that comes, not only in your own life, but in the lives of those around you.
And I know that some of you have children that are not a picture of unity. And I know that some of you have bosses that are not a picture of peace. And it, you can be like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? How can I affect this? And so you pray, God, help me, God, help me, God. And God says, I just, just spend time with me. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to unity. Same is true in marriage. There's no shortcuts. Husbands, you have to spend time with the Lord. You have to spend time in his word. Wives, same thing. Unity comes from spending time with Jesus. It's the only way it comes. So maybe this is a time where you need to renew your love for the Lord. You need to renew your desire to spend time in his word and walk with him. And maybe, just maybe, all these weirdos in your life that are causing you to be annoyed and frustrated and hurting, maybe you're sitting right next to that person right now and they're kicking you under the seat. Maybe they're there so that God could get you to the place where you're willing to walk with him. Maybe you've been lazy and you haven't been spending time with the Lord. And so you're reaping the effects of that in your relationships. Two years ago, Rodney King died at the bottom of a swimming pool because he was strung out on drugs. I wish someone in his life would have been spending time with Jesus because maybe he would have got an answer to can't we all just get along? Maybe you guys, by spending time with Jesus this week, will save someone else from drowning at the bottom of their swimming pool of their life because they're seeing this world and they're seeing the violence and the hatred and they got nothing. They got no answer. And you spend time with Jesus and you just say, hey, how you doing? And something about the way you talk, something about you has a spiritual power that I can't describe, a spiritual ability to minister to them. I don't often get to brag, but whenever I give Avant a hug, it ministers to me. Right? You should try it. It's like, what just happened? I feel like I just took a bath in the Holy Spirit. It's true. Because Avant has spent a lot of time with Jesus. Sorry to embarrass you. Don't mean to do that. That can be us. I, and it is us to whatever extent we're abiding in Christ.